Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and in today's episode I will be going over my key takeaways from every single player in the preseason as well as who I think the final roster cut will be. First off, from the three preseason games, I think SGA proved that he's going to be the focal point of this offense. He really didn't play a ton with the ball in his hands in the three games. He averaged 12.7 points, 2.3 rebounds, and 4 assists in just 21.2 minutes. But the reason those numbers are down so much, his role really varied. He was doing a little bit of everything. He was sharing the ball handling duties with players like George Hill, Teo Maladon, especially in his second preseason game, and a little bit of Baisley. So in the opportunities that he had with the ball, he did extremely well. The thing that stuck out to me was in transition and in the fast break, he he goes from 0 to 100 like in the blink of an eye. Once he crosses midcourt, he's going to sprint down to the rack and he forces a lot of help. If there's only one person staying in front of him, he will blow right by them. He's going to get at least two or three defenders on him in the fast break when he wants to sprint towards the basket. And what it leads to is a lot of open corner threes. And we saw it, I believe it was in our third and final preseason game against the Bulls. We ended up seeing that a good bit. He had wide open kickouts to the corner. I think one of them might have been Isaiah Roby. He found him in the corner. Roby passed up the three ball. Um, I think Muscala, he was at the top of the key. So Roby got the ball wide open. He could have shot it. There was no issue. But Muscala is about a three-point shooter. So Roby passed it off and Muscala hit it. But it wasn't just like that was the only time that scenario happened. SGA just sprints down to the basket out of nowhere, gets that help, and he will hit the corner. So that's what I love to see with him, just in general, passing on the paint. And he did exceptional when it came to fast break and transition, but just in like the normal offense, he could take you ISO and still blow by and have a man open. So I really love the premise of him working a tad bit in the ISO, trying to get inside. And when you have stretch bigs like Muscala out there, it allows it to work and uh, it gives a lot of ISO opportunities for SGA. And uh, other guys like Darius Baisley, really, maybe even Maladon. I think he's more of a pick-and-roll guy, but you never know. Now, um, in terms of shooting, I think a lot of people were wondering how SGA was going to adjust to shooting because... He was like the third option, really, a lot of the times last season. He averaged like 19 a game. But even with that, like most of his shots were set up by Chris Paul. Now he needs to set up his own shots. And he really wasn't doing too well. From three, he only shot 20%. Now, I'm not going to write him off as just not being able to create his shots. Three games, sample size, that's ridiculous. He should be able to pick it back up. But just something you do need to look at is when defenses are scheming, they're scheming around stopping SGA because a lot of the times his shots were wide open. We've seen his jump shot is not the prettiest and it takes a decent amount of time for him to get that thing off. So if you're double teaming and just playing extremely tight on him, he may not be able to create as many shots as he has in really in his past season with us. I think passing wise, he looks great. Four assists in just 21 minutes. I'm expecting five plus assists easily there. Rebound wise, I'm not sure he's going to be getting that many rebounds. 
just due to him playing at point guard, there's not going to be as many situations for him there. And in points, it's kind of just random. I think there's going to be some of those games where he's not averaging, or he's not going to be able to hit like 15 points. And then there's other games where he's like high 20s, maybe even cracking the 30s. So I don't know. I think uh, I think SGA showed enough that at least being the ball handler, he's good. And uh, if he can get a rhythm going, he's going to be a great all-around player for us. Now, uh, as I mentioned, just ball handlers, I think another dude that you can talk about is Darius Baisley. But he really didn't get as many ball handling opportunities as I thought and many people thought. I think a lot of people were under the impression he was going to be like a secondary ball handler for us. He had a tad bit of moments, but it wasn't like he was he was ISOing um, half the time he touched it. I, a lot of the times when he got the ball, it was same old, same old. He looked just like um, he did in the bubble, just catch and shoot guy. And he didn't lose a beat uh, from three. He was 50% from three uh, in our preseason games. I think he only played two. But he shot 50%, and every single time, there was no lack of confidence. He didn't even hesitate once. I'm loving what I'm seeing from him. I think um, defenses will need to step up, and once they start doing that, that's when we'll see a lot of blow-bys from Baisley. It just it just shows like he's, he's very hard for a power forward in the modern NBA to guard right now. He's way too athletic, and he just has... He's just, has way too much speed he plays like at three but that length allows him to be at the four I think he's like six foot six foot nine six foot ten with a seven foot wingspan but yeah I think uh he really he has the measurables of a four but his speed like a three it's hard for people to stay on him ball handling wise he has a he has a good amount of moves in his arsenal that does free him up a ton um, I think on the offensive end, he's a nightmare for these power forwards. On defense, I the main thing that I was wondering is just how would he be able to adjust to the Chicago Bulls um, bigs because they have Laurie Marketing, they have Daniel Gafford, Wendell Carter. There's there's a lot more. These are just some big, uh, big power forwards and centers they have on the Bulls, and it's nothing like what he was playing against in the playoffs. I think the first game he played was not that great. His second game, he um he turned it around a bit. And one of the key things that I liked from him, just he was really active on the glass. He had a double-double in Friday's game. I believe it was 10 points, 11 rebounds. And uh, it wasn't just that. Uh, he was averaging one and a half steals between those two games. And I think he had a block somewhere in there as well. So pretty disruptive. I like what I saw from him on the rebounds. Whenever he was getting posted up, it was like a 50-50. It wasn't like he was completely shutting them down, but you could tell sometimes he was disrupting the shot. So I do like him as the long-term option at the four. Now, if Poku does bulk up, I think Baisley and Poku maybe can switch at the three and four spot. It really doesn't matter. I think Baisley can hold it down at either, and Poku barring he gets bigger also should be able to do that so I like what I saw in Baisley another starter that I really liked Al Horford and I wasn't completely sold on Horford entering the preseason he just didn't really seem like he fit he's like 35 years old he's like 34 or 35 right now so he doesn't fit the timeline he's not fast 
I didn't even realize he was such a good stretch big. Like, I didn't know he made his name from three now, but he completely adjusted his play style, and he is a consistent shooter, or at least he was for us in the first three games. He was six for nine from beyond the arc in his preseason games, albeit, um, I mean, they were really just open, but I kind of expect that. It was a lot of just pick and pop situations and him getting freed up. Defenders weren't expecting him to be so good from three, and I think a lot of people watching did not expect that either. He just did great. Um, most of his misses, when he did miss, they looked really bad. Like, front iron barely grazes the rim. But all the others seemed like swishes. He felt he got in the zone in Friday's game. I think he was 4 for 5 from 3. Uh, I don't even remember him missing a 3. He was that good. And I believe both of his games, he was scoring all these points in just the first half. He didn't even play in the second halves of either game. And in those games, he averaged 16 and 8 in just 18 minutes. That's major production. I think it shows he will be a major piece of our offense for the time being. We don't know what the status of him is. With guys like Rudy Gobert flying off the board, he just got an extension with the Jazz. Could he become a trade piece? I'm not too sure. The contract is very ugly, and a team who would want him the reason they'd want him is because they want a ring now, because we know the decline on him will be sort of dramatic. So just taking that contract on, you need to be really confident that Horford will push you over the edge. And there may be a couple teams throughout the season that get to a point where they think if they get Horford, they might be able to contend. Right now, I really don't know any particular teams that I'd be like, they might want to trade for Al Horford. Um... If they would, it would probably be nothing more than just salary dumps and maybe even us having to give a pick or something back. I don't think OKC is comfortable doing that. We don't really care about who we're giving our money to right now because it's pretty much Horford and a ton of just really young guys on super small contracts. So it's not a big deal how much we're paying Horford. We don't need to get rid of him. If a team wants to give us positive assets, I think Horford's gone. Right now, he's not gone, and I think his stock is going to keep rising because he really is our only true center at the moment. The only other one is Muscala, but even then, he's not really a true five. I think Horford will get a lot of opportunities with us, and his numbers will look really, really solid. George Hill, um, I think he started one of our preseason games. I don't really know what his future is again. I look at him as just a really good veteran presence. There was a clip, I believe it was during halftime of Friday's game. He was helping Poku on like shooting the ball. That's great to see. Um, from a veteran, that's the exact kind of leadership that we want. We don't have very many veterans on this team. And I'm not sure how many we are going to have past tomorrow because we do need to cut somebody and it may end up being a veteran. I think George Hill, for the moment, should be safe. We need to treasure him because he does have a lot of experience in his career, and he will be giving very valuable information to the team. I want George Hill to stay with us right now. I think at the trade deadline, he could get moved, but as of now, he's great. I don't know if he's going to be starting every game because I think they were just running super small ball. SGA and George Hill were playing the one and two. I don't expect to see that again, but 
off the bench, he should be very solid for us. Now, the only starter that I really was not impressed with um, was Lou Dort. Now, Zach Levine was a perfect matchup for him because Harden is not as fast as Levine. Both are very good penetrators and both can shoot the ball. But the difference between the two is I think Levine's just Levine's just faster. Um, I think Harden is a bit better when it comes to shooting on the outside than Levine is. Levine has the edge getting inside in, in penetration situations. And Dort really struggled with it. Inside, it was a nightmare for him. And he was sagging off on Levine a couple plays, and it just led to him draining, whether it was a mid-range or a three. Doesn't matter. He was hitting it. Dort didn't really make... He made a bit of an adjustment in the first game on Wednesday's game. Levine dropped 16. That got shot down to, to 9. And I will say those 16 points all came in the first quarter. Those 9 points in Friday's game all came in the first quarter. So maybe there was a bit of adjustments. But I was expecting Dort to be like an absolute lockdown defender. In addition, I also thought maybe, just maybe, he would find some sort of rhythm from 3. And he only shot 1 for 7 from there. The good thing was... It didn't seem like he was hesitating to shoot the ball. Defenses were forcing him, like the Bulls were forcing him to jack up shots. He didn't have any issues with it um, as he did in the playoff series, at least the first couple games of the playoff series. So I like the confidence in Dort's shot. Hopefully it falls. He just wasn't too impressive from three and on defense. he It was a bit of an issue on Levine. There wasn't as many like, Super high-intensity plays, high-energy plays we saw um, in those two preseason games with him. I expect over the course of the year for him to get back into shape because playing seven games on arguably the best score in the NBA at the level he did, I'd assume that takes a toll on you. So it's it may take a bit for him to get back to where he was, and that's completely fine. Now off the bench, the first thing, um, the rookies proved that they deserve rotational minutes I think it might have been uh the Thunder's head coach I or maybe it was just a little rumor but everyone was talking about starting points with Poku and Teo Maladon would they be playing in the blue majority of their rookie season or would they be on the Thunder's roster I think they've shown that both of them should be playing rotational minutes with the team and maybe even get into roles, I'm not saying starting roles by the end of the rookie season, but very big roles off the bench. First with Maladon, he was tied for um, the second team's leading scorer. He had 15.5 points in his two games. He had four and a half rebounds and two assists, and you may be attracted to the points. I'm attracted to the assists, and even though two is not a high number, he was setting his teammates up way more than what that would show. When it comes to passing, his level of passing was so good, specifically in his first game against the Spurs. He he launched like five mid-air jump passes. When he gets doubled up top, he got doubled up top a lot on pick and rolls. And what would end up happening was the, the defender, uh, who should have been in a corner, would start kind of draping down low. And right as Maladon saw that, he would jump up and just launch a cross-court pass to whoever it was. I think Frank Jackson was 
um, the guy there most of the time. But yeah, Maladon was making some really high, uh, really high IQ jump passes over two guys. Seemed like the passes were impossible, but he kept making them. And even when it didn't lead to assists, he was still chucking it across the court and and finding a better look than he was in. And outside of jump passes, I think just in the pick and roll, he also was a great passer. There were multiple um, dump-off passes we saw from Maladon in the pick and roll situations. One of them, and I think it was his best, was to Moses Brown. He came beautifully off the screen. Two-on-one situation, exactly what you look for. I forgot if he, he pretended like he was going up for a runner and then he dumped it off, but he did something to bait his to bait Moses Brown's defender in. And right as he saw that, he dumped it down. Uh, Brown didn't make the shot, but great play um, by him. And when he's not distributing off the pick and roll, he's a great finisher. Off these screens that he was um, getting, the first thing he was doing is he was bumping back into his defender. So as the defender came off the screen, um, obviously they're a little bit behind. Maladon, what he does... He just pauses there for a second so the defender catches back up. And instead of letting the defender get back around and in front of him, Maladon will bump him back for like a split second and then he'll take off. And it creates the space needed to turn into a two-on-one pretty much every single time. And that's how we've seen the dump-off passes and that's how we've seen him get shots off in the paint. I believe he had a he had a pass fake. His I think this was his best play in the preseason, but... He comes off the screen, he bumps his defender back, two-on-one, drives into the paint, pass-fakes it. I think Roby was a screen guy, so he pass-fakes it to Roby. LaMarcus Aldridge was down low. At first, he was standing his ground, and he it looked like he was going to be able to defend Maladon and Roby. He hits him with the pass-fake. Aldridge's feet shift towards Roby, and he gets the green light. He just launches up a floater, and it's good. There was nothing Aldridge could do because since his feet were shifted the other way, he just couldn't get up there in time to disrupt it. So that was my favorite play from him. I think in the pick and roll, he's really great at making decisions and just passing passing the ball out. He's got a lot of moves there. So I really love what I saw from him. The shooting-wise... Seemed like he was he was fairly confident. I forgot exactly what the percentages were, but I think it was above 40%. And pretty much every time he got the ball, he just no hesitation would shoot it. If he was open from three, that is. If there was a little bit, if there wasn't as much room, that's when he'd call for the screen and he'd work in the pick and roll. But I'm confident in his ability to stretch the floor when he's open, so... I think Maladon will be playing backup point guard for us just to start things out. I'm not sure if he's cracking the starting lineup um, unless SGA kind of moves up to shooting guard again. I don't know what the chances that are. But yeah, I do think he will be our second string point guard. In terms of Poku, this was a guy that we really did not know what to think. Coming, He's 18 years old still, coming out of... Um, I believe it's Serbia. Yeah, I think he's from Serbia. Didn't know what to make of him. Seven feet tall, seven foot three wingspan. Really raw. He was playing in like the B League over in Serbia. Didn't know what the starting the starting point with him was. It's pretty high. Um, first off, he's one of the most confident shooters we have seen. 
I know I've coined pretty much everyone I've talked about as a confident shooter, but Poku, without, like, he would get the ball and just chuck it up every time. In, like, 0.5 seconds, he launches it up. He really was shooting it in front of people's faces. It didn't matter because of how tall he was, but he's launching up over everybody. On catch and shoots, he's launching it. He shot it 20 times from three in three preseason games, so almost seven times a game he was shooting threes. I'd say majority of those were fairly open, and about a quarter of them he ended up creating for himself. One of my favorites was a 25-foot step-back three he hit. He didn't actually hit it, I take that back, but it was in the final two minutes of the Bulls game that we lost, 105-103. to 103. He tried creating a three for himself, gets the ball, hits a step back, and just throws it up. It almost hit. It almost hit. Um, hits front iron and didn't go in. But, I mean, the display of speed, that ability to create separation with the step back, and then the fast shot. Perfect string of moves, even though it didn't get the result we wanted. Overall positive. And even though he shot 7 from for 20 from 3, it's still a positive. That's 35%. That's not a bad 3-point percentage anyways. And um, I don't know how many opportunities he will be getting to shoot it. I don't think it's going to be 7 times a game from 3 again. But maybe those numbers shrink down because some of the shots he was taking in preseason just weren't quality looks. Maybe you just cut it down to high quality looks and he jumps up to 40 for... 40% from three. I don't know. Outside of shooting, though, I think he's just super fast for his size. Seven foot, seven three wingspan, like I said. No one's going to be able to catch up for him. There was a play in the Spurs game. He gets the rebound. He crashes the boards. And he just looks to push the pace. He's not looking for outlet passes. And it wasn't just in the Spurs game. Let me make that clear. It was in all the games. But he gets the ball crashes the rebounds, sprints up court with the ball. He's not looking at anyone else. He wants to have a one-man show, and he outruns his guy on the boards, um, his power forward, maybe even small forwards at times, but he outruns them, and he pretty much turns it into a fast break one-on-one with either a little guy or if a, a big dude was just camped at the three when the shot went off. He should already be back there. So he was taking one-on-one situations with guards and centers. And I don't know if the looks were that good. But just being able to see the speed that he does have in transition is great. And once he gets to ball handling, if he's able to separate himself and has a path to the lane, there's no way on earth anybody's going to be able to stop him. He's that fast. And um, I think just another thing, I was talking about the rebounds, how he's crashing the boards. He was the team leader in rebounds. He had 9.3. He had 9.3 rebounds in 24 minutes. And he almost put up a double-double. He had 11 points and 9.3 rebounds. So uh, those are some great numbers from him. Some other bench guys I want to talk about, Frank Jackson, he looks to be the real deal. I think he's more of a shooting guard, and I've always said this about him. I don't think that he's uh, much of a a point guard just due to him 
being oriented on catch and shoot threes and driving in. He he's he's great at creating shots for him, himself, not as much creating shots for his teammates. So I think that's why he needs to be playing at shooting guard. And his his like thing coming into the season was consistency. Would he be consistent? I've talked about it every single time I mentioned Frank Jackson, whether it be on an article or on here. I just say, like, last year with the Pelicans, he'd have spurts where he's dropping 25 points a game, and then he just has months where he can't even make 20% of his shots. So in his first two games, he was 60% from the field. He was 14 at 20. Last game, he shot two for eight, dropped that percentage down to... um. I think 50%. I don't know if that's right, but he dropped it down for sure off that game. And uh, even though it was two for eight, a lot of the looks were wide open. I thought that maybe he was just chucking up random shots on the Pelicans team and they weren't good looks. No, I think majority of his shots, even when he was shooting two for eight, were somewhat open. And he shot it about two or three times in the final minute of the Bulls game. All three of those shots were were good. I think if you break them down, like he was taking layups when we were down three with under a minute left. I would have just tried to go for a three. I don't know why he drove in. He ended up doing that. He got fouls, so it's fine. I just think the decision making there was a little iffy. Anyways... The shot itself was a high-quality look. Those two layups were. And then the game winner was about as open as it could get. It rattles out, but it was still a great look. And that were that was majority of his shots. He was able to hit it from all three levels. He was getting inside on the layups. There were a couple times. I don't know if he relied too much on the mid-range in his three games. But he did, he did find a way to to get open in the mid-range scenarios. I think he ran baseline a couple times to free himself. I think he had like some bigger defenders on him. Just the speed of Frank Jackson allows him to to get open that way. So he sprints to the baseline and pops his, his pull-up or whatever it may be. Good looks. And then from three, really he was camped in the corner a lot. Uh, as I said, Maladon, whenever he was finding people, Jackson seemed to just be there in the right corner for threes, and he hit every single one of them off Maladon. He was three for three when Maladon kicked it to him into the corner, and there were just other times where he comes off a screen. I think maybe there's one play came off a screen and shot it, or he just pulls up and hits it himself. So, really good stuff from Jackson. I think the role for him is like a, a eh, like a Walmart version of Jordan Clarkson for the Jazz. Really just play him 10 minutes, let him run the offense. If he's able to score in double digits in those 10 minutes, you keep him in the game and you make him a big piece of your offense. If not, uh, and he's having a, a night where he's 1 for 6 or 2 for 8, that's when you pull him out and you throw in other people like Hamadou Diallo or Dort. Because... Hamadou Diallo and Dort are not very good three-point shooters. Diallo's a 25% three-point shooter in his career. I don't know what Dort's is, but it's probably not too far off. You can't really you can't really have them both on the court. Diallo and Dort can't really play together. 
and even when you have one of them out there, it's a little bit of a disadvantage. With with Jackson, he's a good enough shooter to where even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, defenses will need to stay on him. When Dort and Diallo are, Diallo are out there, they'll force them to shoot, and it kind of puts a wrench in the, the plans of our offense. So I think no doubt Frank Jackson's our best shooting guard um, when it comes to scoring on offense. I want to see him in that Jordan Clarkson role, and I think it may pay off uh, for us. The other guy off the bench at shooting guard, Diallo, he did exactly what we expected him to. He's a great finisher around the basket, and he's a great rebounder. I don't know if many people knew this, but I think he's one of the best offensive rebounders at the two-guard position like in the entire NBA. He averaged 5.7 rebounds in the preseason games. That was second. Um, or No, that wasn't second most on the team. That's something else. But Isaiah Roby had six rebounds. He was playing power forward and center most of the time. So the numbers are really comparable there. Just shows uh, how, how he was able to get inside and get the boards. But the thing I did want to mention, the offensive rebounds. That's what separates him from the rest of the guys at the two guard and really in the NBA. Almost 30% of Diallo's rebounds came from the offensive end of things. He had 1.7 offensive rebounds per game. And like I said, he had 5.7 just in total. So four defensive, 1.7 on offensive. That's tied for most offensive rebounds on the team. Isaiah Roby also put up 1.7. Roby's really camped in the paint just due to him being at the position he's at and a lot of times he was the screen setter and pick and rolls so if if the guard held on to it and like shot up a layup if it didn't go in Roby immediately gets it with Diallo he has to sprint inside and just jump up for it and hope he doesn't get it over the back foul um he has to wind through a couple guys and he still ends up coming down with it and that's where he gets the most high quality shots he does get a lot of second chance points um, when he's playing with us. Shooting still seems to be an issue with him. It kind of sucks because I was just thinking about it before I started, like, hit the record button on this. It's a shame because, like, if Diallo was an established shooter in the NBA, he'd be near starting caliber. On the offensive end, he definitely would. Just picture he's already one of the best guys when it comes to attacking the basket. The defenders are already ready for that, so they sag off on him the whole time. He drives in on people when, I mean, the defense is already prepared for it. If he was able to keep the defenders on their feet, and just due to him being able to shoot, he would be such a better player, because driving in, there'd be so many more blow-bys and so many more open looks. He's able to get relatively open when he's double-teamed in the paint, and when his defender it's giving him 10 feet of room. I don't get how he's able to do that so well, but he just is. Tack shooting on, and that 10 feet of room goes way down. And the blow-bys just become ridiculous. That's going to turn into a, a nightmare for defenses. And even though he doesn't have the three ball now, 
if he somehow was able to develop it, he's just going to be a huge issue. I think even without the three, he's a great offensive player, and I don't really know what shooting guard off the bench could handle him. Really just inside. I don't really know what shooting guards are that good at handling him. And if you gave him a three, I don't know any shooting guards that could really handle him off the bench. The only player that I can think of would just be himself. And I'm just talking in general. The biggest downfall to Diallo and what leads to him not playing well, it's just himself. He needs to know when to stop shot chucking. He went 7 for 14 in his first preseason game. He followed that up with a 1 for 8 performance and then a 3 for 7 performance in the last. If he's able to realize enough is enough, like once you go 1 for 4, you need to tone it down. You don't go 1 for 8 and then realize you need to quit calling isolations. If he's going 7 for 14, like if you're going 50%, it's fine. You can keep calling the ISO. But some of the numbers that he finds himself in, he needs to realize he can't just call for it over and over. And when he gets the same result, he shouldn't just keep calling. If he's hot, sure, you let him run the offense until he slows down. But when he's slowed down, quit feeding him the ball and just let him get rhythm somewhere else. You don't need to force feed him. And... That's the main issue that Diallo has had. Just He's never able to realize when to stop uh, shooting the ball. Now, going on to some small forwards off the bench. Kenrich Williams, his stats were not that great. He had 2.6 points, 3 rebounds, and 2.6 assists. He also had a steal in 16.6 um, minutes a game. Those stats on paper are not that great, but... He's just able to do a little bit of everything. Uh, the 2.6 points, the rebounds, really what I love is the 2.6 assists. That puts him in positions where he can play at the small ball four um, or just at the three. And I think something that people don't know about him, in terms of his three-point shot, I think he's around 30% in his career. I'm confident his shot will go up if he remains on this team. I don't know if he's on the short list to be waived or not. I really like him. But in these small ball lineups, he's pretty much open the whole time. And once he starts getting fed the ball on the catch and shoot, he's not going to be a 30% three-point shooter. I'm thinking like 35 plus. So I, I like what I see in Williams. He's a good piece to throw in our bench units. Um, and I don't I don't see a lot of negatives with him. Roby, uh, I kind of like him as a power forward, but I kind of have him listed as a small forward. He was really playing majority power forward and center in um, in our preseason, but uh, he's like the perfect screen setter for us in the small ball lineups. He's strong enough to screen the guard, and he's way faster than these centers. Leads to a lot of easy rolls for him if the uh, if both of the players are attracted to the guard. All the guard has to do is loft a pass over both of them. Roby's dunking it down. Or just even when they do go back and they do try to cover Roby, the speed's too much and he's able to get it and lay it up and in. His best skill on offense in terms of shooting, it's just his inside game. He's really athletic, so it's not an issue getting the shot up before the bigs can disrupt him because he does have enough space to, to create the shots that he needs. Now... 
one of the things, sure, he may be good in the pick and roll, but what about on defense? Can he really handle playing the power forward and center? Because he's only six foot eight. And my opinion is, yeah, he totally can. He's six foot eight, um, but he has seven foot three wingspan. That's the same as Giannis, if any of you guys were wondering. And I believe that's the same as Poku as well. So those are some long, long arms. So he closes the gap on this disadvantage that he has on the centers. And, um, I mean, with them, he's able to box his, his man out and get the boards. Like I said, with the length, he is able to contest shots. He's not a bad defender. And I do think he's the ideal power forward just in a normal lineup and a good center in some of these others. One quality that really went under the radar, I did like, I already made an article about Roby and I didn't even cover it, but he's a decent playmaker. Like, he was averaging two assists a game at the four and five in his preseason games, and he wasn't afraid to make those extra passes. I told you about the SGA play where he drove inside, had three guys on him. SGA makes a good jump pass to Roby in the corner. Roby didn't take the three ball. Instead, he passed up his shot for an even more open Mike Muscala, who, as we know, is a bit of a better three-point shooter. And that three obviously went in. In the future, I like Roby as the power forward. I've heard, like, people on Twitter have been hating on this man. I don't get it. I don't see, I think Roby has proved himself um, in the preseason. I just don't see the team wanting to cut ties with him because... I mean, just looking at the looking at the roster, who else is going to play the role that he's been giving us? I don't think there's anybody else who who brings what he does to the table. I say Roby's safe. I think he's going to be a good backup power forward for us. Justin Jackson, um, I really did not like him in this preseason, and I think he might have even been outplayed by T.J. Leaf, who who got waived a couple days ago. I think Leaf might have played better than Jackson. Shot 20... Yeah, Jackson shot 23% in the entire preseason and 20% from three. Supposedly, he's a stretch four, but 20% from three, not good. He's slow for a small forward, so you really do need to play him at power forward. But he just plays super-duper, like, crazy. I already told y'all about how how he was just jacking up floaters in Wednesday's game. He kept doing it in Friday's game. And I'd say if he wasn't shooting a three off a catch and shoot, Jackson was driving in and launching like a 15 foot, 15 foot runner floater. Like what was he thinking? And I'm not sure if any one of them went in. All of them were short to my knowledge. He kept doing it. He had the same issue as Diallo. You gotta know when enough is enough. And um, he's really gotta figure that out. Because as it is right now, I really do not love what I saw on offense. And that's kind of his his forte. Like, he's an offensive player who thus far does not look good at offense. So, what is what is he now? I don't know. Probably like a... A Patrick Patterson of some sorts. Like, what do you what do you do with him? I I'm not I'm not sure. the The one power forward that I think played extremely well, and he's a power forward center, really. It's Mike Muscala. 
He could be our best player off the bench, consistency-wise. He scored 15.5 points and 3 rebounds in just 17.5 minutes. And he shot 70% from the 3. I broke down his shot chart on my um on my website I got going on. I did a whole article on just how he was able to do so well. You guys should check that out. But in his, his hot zone, his shot chart... He was 5 of 5 from the top of the 3, and he was 2 of 2 from the right corner. And that's from him just sitting out there and waiting for shots. He was open majority of the time. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, the guards did all the work for him. There were plays where Muscala was creating things for himself and one of the best plays I've seen from him and really just a tendency of his he likes hiding yeah he just likes hiding in transition plays he slows down and lets the guards just go right by him he lets everybody go by him in transition plays and instead of cutting into the basket to try to get a rebound if the guard you know lays it up he just sneaks into the top of the three and that's where a lot of those five top of the key shots were from he just sneaks in there no one on the opposing team knows where muscala is until he has the ball in his hands so he's hiding whoever the guard is either they take it dish it to the corner the man in the corner can shoot or kick it to muscala nobody even knows muscala is there still when there's a guy in the corner with the ball off the pass muscala gets it his release is fast enough to where nobody's going to be able to get him so I like him. I like him as a shooter there, and I think the way he gets himself open, it's just spectacular. Anyways, um, I think like one of the questions with him is could he play the four and the five for us? He has some bigger shoes to fill because we lost Gallinari, we lost Nerlens Noel and Adams. We got Horford back, and we know Baisley will be playing more minutes. But off the bench, there's still a, a void to fill with the minutes, and Muscala is going to be taking a lot of those. And I think a lot of the minutes there are going to be at center. Interior defense-wise, he was not bad at all. In the final preseason game, he had four blocks, and I think he only played like 18 minutes or something. In pick-and-roll scenarios, that's what they tried to isolate Muscala in. He stood his ground in the paint, and I think Markkinen got blocked a couple times from Muscala. Markkinen kept trying to drive in. He thought he could either elevate over him or whatever it may be, he thought he could get the shot off, Muscala was all over it, he swiped the ball out of his hands like twice, the other two blocks probably came in similar fashion, but he just held his own down in the paint, and he's 6 foot 11, like 240 pounds, that's a big enough frame to be playing center, and it's also a good enough frame to be at power forward, he's great for us in a traditional lineup at power forward, you can slide him in with the starters, or uh in a traditional second unit he's a center and even in stretch like small ball lineups he's a good enough uh shooter to be the center in there as well because he will stay in the corner and he's going to make it so defenders will stay on him and you can run plays like pick and rolls or isolations pretty much at ease 
So it gives us a lot of flexibility with us there. So if I were to pick one of my favorite players from the preseason, it may just be Mike Mike Muscala because I didn't expect him to be as good as he was. I, I thought he'd just be the same old Mike Muscala we saw last year, just really one-dimensional, and he's not one-dimensional at all. He did even show um some mid-range game. He set a screen inside. He went out for a pop. It's like a 12 to 15 footer. He had a defender draped all over him. Like his shot should have been blocked. His release point was so high and the arc on it was so high. He his defender was not able to get a fingertip on it somehow and it dropped in. If I can keep seeing that from Muscala, he's a perfect center, guys. Um now all those people that I listed, those were just the players who played in the preseason. There may have been others like Schofield and Leaf. There was just not, I mean, they're not even on the team anymore, let's be honest. And then there's others who just didn't have a big enough sample size. Um, but yeah, those are the people who played. I think those who didn't play were Josh Hall, Ariza, Darius Miller, Ty Jerome. Those are the ones off the top of my head who I don't think played at all. But yeah. There's going to be somebody who is going to get cut today, and I just want to briefly bring that up. My top three candidates for that would be Kendrick Williams. I really like him. I don't know what the Thunder's idea on him is. The only real negative is he's 26, but he's on a good contract. He's on a three-year minimum deal, and what he's brought in the preseason was that roster flexibility. And that's really valuable, being able to play multiple positions when we are going to have a lot of just random rotations in and out of the year. He fits exactly what I need, uh, what the team needs. The other two candidates, Darius Miller and Trevor Ariza, both guys on expirings. Miller's on a $7 million, Ariza's on a $12.8 million. The value on Ariza, we might be able to just trade him for like a second or two. Miller, he's coming off an injury that's still a nice expiring. Seven mil is nothing to joke about, but I don't know what kind of value he would net. Out of the two, Ariza is clearly the better player. Uh, he would be our starting small forward, but he's not currently with us, and he's been battling some some family issues since the bubble. It's still going on. The Thunder has been on his side. They're cool with him not playing right now. But it may just it may just reach a point where we uh we like all our guys and Ariza with you know an uncertain timetable. He's also 35 years old. We may just dump him off to like a contender or just wave him and let him figure it out because we've already known that contenders do want Ariza on his on their team. So Ariza has a spot in the NBA with us or with others. I don't know. With Miller, he's just a good veteran guy. Uh, whenever he first came in, I don't think anybody was suspecting he could be cut. At this rate, he may just be. But yeah, I think a dark horse could be Ty Jerome. He's 23. He's a good passer. Decent shooter. He hasn't been great so far in the NBA, but in his three seasons with Virginia, he was like a 39% three-point shooter. I like the potential with him, but we already have too many guards uh, at the one and two. 
So I don't just I just don't see him fitting in. If he's with us, he's not gonna get a ton of minutes anyways. So maybe we just let him loose and he can find a better situation there. I think if uh I were to say who I think is cut out of the four that I listed, probably Darius Miller. He's he has a seven mil expiring. I get it. We don't want to have to lose all that money out. I don't know if there's going to be that many trade windows for him, but I think Ariza gives more. We may just be better off being patient with him than trying to find a quick resolution to whatever's going on with Ariza. Miller would be cut. I'd assume someone would pick him up on a minimum contract for the rest of the season. Miller's an NBA player, but I don't know. He's 30 years old, doesn't fit the timeline. I think he could be the one to go. Now, I think there's a real chance that what could be happening today is Presty will be making phone calls trying to dish off one of Ariza or Miller because since both of them are good veteran players and they're both on what are good contracts being expiring, someone may be cool giving you like a second a second or two, take them off your hands. We get a little bit of value we're not expecting a first round pick from either of these guys we're just looking to shed a player and get to that 15 um roster limit or the maximum i guess the 15 maximum players there could be teams willing to work with us we could dump off those people and not even have to pay any money to them so that's always an option to keep open but other than that guys that's all i had for you all today I will try to come back to you guys soon, um, whether it be a regular season preview or just talking about maybe our roster move today, who, who gets waived. I'm not sure, but yeah, I'll be talking to you guys later. See ya.